Isaiah 63 is on the menu for this morning. So if you would open your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 63. We're going to look at verses 15 of Isaiah 63 all the way to finish out Isaiah chapter 64. This is what I want to ask us this morning. What happens when the promises of God fail to align with the reality of life? God promises X, Y, and Z, and then our lives tell a completely different story. God promises us his presence, but when we're honest, we haven't felt it in years. God promises us his salvation, but when we consider the cross of Christ and all its benefits, we feel cold and indifferent. God promises us his mercy, but all we feel is his divine displeasure. God promises us his covenant love, but we feel weighed down by guilt. What happens when life seems to contradict the promises of God. As we all know, 2020 has been one of those years. A global pandemic, some political posturing, heightened tension of racial crisis in our country, and more political posturing. Job loss, economic shutdown, political posturing. Death. We've witnessed the deaths of iconic celebrities, heroes. The Black Mamba, Kobe, died earlier this year. This week, King T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman, died unexpectedly. Our iconic heroes are gone. And even more painfully close to us, death has marked our own lives. We've walked through the deaths of our loved ones that are famed in our own hearts. Mothers, fathers, daughters, sons, grandchildren. 2020 has reminded us of the absolute brevity of life. And add to this mental illness, depression, despair, suicidal thoughts, hopelessness, emptiness, countless hopes and dreams have been dashed upon the rocks of COVID-19. Those who are graduated and desire to go off to college are going to be stuck in front of a computer screen for an entire semester. And continual fear pumped into our hearts and minds 24-7 by the news media over and over and over again. And then guess what? Because we have to make a little light of this, right? More political posturing. This had to be an election year, didn't it? As 2020, as bad as it was, now we have to decide which is the lesser evil, if there is such a thing. 2020 has been, and most likely will continue, to be a very wearying year. With that, we ask, where is God? Where is he in all of this? And what has happened, O oh God, to your promises? See, all of the promises of God seem so far removed from his people. 
Life seems to be telling us that at best God is judging us and at worst that he has forsaken and abandoned us. But I want to be clear. This time that we are experiencing is not unique. It is not unique in history. It may be unique for us, but it is far from unique. Because God's church has suffered far greater pandemics. God's church has suffered far greater persecution. God's church has suffered far greater unknowns. And God's church, because the king reigns, remains triumphant. Christ is the reigning king, whether his promises seem close or far away. But in spite of all this, I do believe God is taking us and saying, I have your attention now. I want you to pause. I want you to think. And I want you to ask this question. What do I, God says, want you to see and to hear and to learn at this time? If God is using this time, 2020, for anything, I believe it is to provoke, to push, and to prod His people to call upon Him. See, when our reality doesn't line up with God's promises, it is at that very moment we don't run away, we run too. And we cry out to our God, How long, O Lord, will you, O God, forget us forever? I'm not here this morning to give you all the answers, but I am here to encourage you to the one, to run to the one who has them. And maybe even he won't give you the answers now, but he will give you his comfort. This morning, as we walk through this passage, I want us to see it, it is a prayer. It is a prayer that we should be making. It is a prayer that we need for today and we will need for tomorrow. This morning, I was to confront head-on the harsh realities of life when they seem disconnected from God's promises. But I want us to take those harsh realities and I want us to see them and use them as motivation to run to God, our Father and our Redeemer. We need to run to Him, to call on Him, for Him to act, for Him to move, for Him to come and for him to save. And I believe he wants us to call on him. So our passage this morning challenges us to do just that, to run to the Lord in prayer. Isaiah 63, beginning at verse 15, all the way through Isaiah 64, I want us to see, break down this prayer of Isaiah in three forms. The first is a call to remember in, in verses, chapter 63, verses 15 and 19, a call to remember. Secondly, there's a call to rend, to rend the heavens in chapter 64, 1 through 7. And then lastly, there's a call for God to restore in verses 8 to 12 of chapter 64. This passage is a prayer, a cry for God to act that when the reality of life does not seem to line up with His promises, it's a prayer that should be on our hearts and on our minds and on our lips this morning, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. Beginning in Isaiah 63, verses 15 and 19, there's a call to remember. Isaiah Look down from heaven and see. 
from your holy and beautiful habitation? Where are your zeal and your might, the stirring of your inner parts, and your compassion are held back from me? For you are our Father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage, your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. You have become like those whom, over whom have, you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. Throughout this passage, we're confronted with the deeply passionate cry of Isaiah for the Lord to act, for Him to be consistent with His promises. God's people in Isaiah calling out upon the Lord to remember His covenants. If God's people are calling on the Lord to remember His covenants, then we have to ask, does our God forget? Does our God forget His covenant? Does He forget it? Does He forget His people? Because it seems like it in Isaiah's time. It seems like it often today in our own lives. The short answer is, of course not. But circumstances in life seem to paint a very different picture. For God's people at that time, for us today, it feels that the Lord's compassion was being held back from them. It feels that God was a father who had forsaken them. It feels that he was a father who would not even acknowledge him. Oh, how tricky our emotions are, are they not? Look at verse 17. They even charged the Lord with hardening their hearts. God, why did you harden my heart so I would wander from you? You have hardened our hearts so that we no longer fear you. You have allowed our enemies to triumph. You have treated us like people whom you've never ruled, never called by name, never loved, never made a covenant with. In short, God's people are calling God out. His promises are failing, at least they feel failing, to line up with reality. And to a degree, it seems true, does it not? It seems that God has forsaken them. Of course, what they fail to grasp is that the Lord in love was disciplining their sinful, rebellious hearts. How many parents, how many fathers have stood into the fearful eyes of their children, disciplining, knowing them, knowing full well that what they were doing was because they loved their children so deeply. And their children only look back up and ask, why? Why would you do this? Why? See, we correct and discipline because we love. In a similar, similar way, the Lord disciplines us because He loves us. And this doesn't mean that we have necessarily done some sin that is causing us discipline. It's just He is caring for us and loving us in such a way that he wants us to be more like him. So Hebrews 12 reminds us the Lord 
disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? His discipline, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves, and he says, lift up your heads, strengthen yourselves. He's also using this rod of discipline to convict his people of their sin and to lead them back to himself, to lead them to repent. He loves us so much that he does not allow us to remain in our sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves us so much that he will not allow us to remain in our sin? Often in the mysterious wisdom of God, he uses his apparent distance to bring us back to himself. Because the Lord seems so far away, it forces his people to call out to him, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, return for the sake of your servants. Your people no longer seem like your people. We have become like those who are not called by your name. We have become like those no longer in covenant relationship with you. Lord, it seems that you have broken your covenant with us, the very covenant that you, Lord, were supposed to keep. Lord, you are our Father. And we, yes, we have been your rebellious children. But you are also our Redeemer. Lord, remember your covenant. Remember your covenant faithfulness. We are returning to you. Please, we pray, return to us. Isaiah is crying out to God for mercy and grace and redemption that is not deserved. If you feel that the reality of your life doesn't line up with the promises of God, then Isaiah reminds us to cry out to him to remember his covenant faithfulness. Because, you know, when we cry out to God to remember his covenant faithfulness, we actually remember his covenant faithfulness. And in remembering his covenant faithfulness, hope is renewed little by little. Father, remember me, your child. You are my Father. You are my, my Redeemer. You have already declared your covenant faithfulness to us. You are our God. I am your child. Remember me. That should be a prayer that is on our lips. Remember your covenants. Remember me, your covenant child. Second thing we do is to call out to God to rend, specifically to rend the heavens. Look at verses, chapter 64, 1 through 7. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountain quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts 
for those who wait for him. You meet him joyfully who works righteousness, those who remember you and your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind takes us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. What a remarkable picture. The Lord our God, the creator of heaven and earth, the very one who made the heavens, Isaiah calls upon the Lord, rend the heavens, tear them apart, sever them in half, split them in pieces, come down to save your people. Lord, come, and then you come, the mountains will quake, the nations will tremble. Lord, your very presence is like a raging, consuming fire. Take note of how this prayer is a what we would call a missional prayer. Rend the heavens. Come down with your terrifying holy presence and make your name known. This needs to be our prayers, God's people, that His name will be made known throughout the world. His holy, righteous, glorious, terrifying presence to be known throughout the world. Oh Lord, you have done awesome things. You split the Red Sea in two. You closed the waters and devoured our enemies. So Moses, the prophet, stands and sings. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my son, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Let me encourage you this afternoon to read Exodus 15. And to be reminded of the Lord's covenant faithfulness to his people of long ago where he saved them from the impending destruction at the hand of the Egyptian army. No one has seen a God like him. And Moses sings again, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength. He is a God, Isaiah says, who acts for those who wait upon him. He meets with those who joyfully work for righteousness. He is present with those who remember him in his ways. He is a God who is with his people. He is a God who rends the heavens and comes down to be with his people. And he comes down not just to make his name known. He comes down to deal with the deep sin of his people. See, God is angry with sin. His holy righteousness will not allow him to tolerate sinful, rebellious people. Israel has sinned. We have sinned. So the question Isaiah asks is the right one. 
in our sins we have been a long time. Shall we be saved? Shall we be saved? Verses 6 to 7 is where all true repentance begins with a deep awareness of our sin. We have all become unclean, dead in our trespasses and sins. Even our most righteous deeds are filthy rags. We fade away like a leaf blown away by the wind of our sinfulness. We do not call upon the Lord. And in turn, he hides his face from us. And we end up melting in his righteous hand. We sinful, wretched people cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. Our sin separates us. From the holy and righteous one, we stand before him condemned. We melt before him in the hand of our own iniquities. And our sin makes one thing abundantly clear. We desperately need a Savior. And that is exactly what we receive from the Lord. His great salvation. The Lord is our Savior and continues to be our Savior. He doesn't stop being our Savior just because we have believed in Him. He continues to work all things out for our good in salvation and His glory. Lord, You have saved us. You have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Lord, You will save us to an inheritance that is imperishable and defiled and unfaithful kept in heaven for you by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in that last time so Lord we call upon you as our prayer rend the heavens come down and save your people we desperately need your salvation so we call upon the Lord to remember his covenants We call upon the Lord to rend the heavens and come down. And lastly, Isaiah teaches us to call upon the Lord to restore us. Chapter 64, verses 8 through 12. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, We are all your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where fathers praise you has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? We see that God relates to his people specifically in two ways here. There's two types of relationships, as a father and as a potter. In other words, he's the compassionate father and sovereign Lord, our creator. He is our father, our creator. This relationship with the Lord from heaven and earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, is our father, our creator, and our savior. These words define our relationship, and he is personally present with us. Because of this relationship, the people of God always cry out, and here in Isaiah cry out, Lord, stop being so angry with us. Maybe we should do that more. 
Lord, stop. Look at the boldness of Isaiah and how weak we are in our own prayers. Lord, stop being so angry. It seems that you're angry us. In boldness, Isaiah calls out, Lord, forget our iniquity. You realize how bold of a request this is? Because God would be perfect, just, and righteous and holy to wipe us all from the face of the earth. We deserve his wrath. His judgment. Sinners deserve condemnation, not mercy. The wages of sin is death. But the cry, they cry out to the Lord anyway. Do not be so angry, O Lord. Do not remember our iniquity forever. And what do God's people receive? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why should he do such a thing? Why should the Lord of heaven and earth show mercy and compassion to a sinful, rebellious people? Because I love you, he declares. Because of my covenant faithfulness. Because you were once not a people, but now you are a people. You are my people. My chosen possession. My treasure. And I will keep you and be with you forever. Psalm 103 reminds us, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord, our Lord, your Lord, shows compassion on us, those who fear him. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. And this salvation of God brings the restoration of God. Our cities, symbols of the Lord's presence and protection, have become wilderness. The beloved city has become a desolation. The temple, the place of God's holy presence where He once dwelt, has been burned by fire. Your holy place has become a ruin. But God's salvation restores all that was once destroyed. Will you be content, O Lord? Will you restrain yourself at these times? How long, O Lord, will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? This is nothing less than God's people calling upon the Lord God to act, to save, to redeem, and to restore And this broader theme is what runs throughout Isaiah 40 through 66. It's this theme of restoration, of ultimately being fulfilled and completed and consummated in Christ Jesus. It's the promise that we long for, for the Lord making all things new. It's the promise that one day all of our tears will be gone, all of our mourning will be gone, death will be defeated finally, and we will sit at the feet of the King of kings and Lord of lords forever, worshiping him, bowing down before the throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy is your name. And 2020 will be a smudge, a footnote, in light of all eternity. This is the theme that drives us back. Isaiah is remarkable here because Isaiah 63 actually drives us back to Isaiah 53. 
This prayer calling upon the Lord to remember His covenant, to rend the heavens, to restore His people, is a prayer that drives us to the suffering servant and propels us forward to the cross. Well, us backwards to the cross. You get the idea. This prayer should drive us to Jesus. Because Jesus answers this prayer. Lord, remember your covenant. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Lord, restore your people. Jesus Christ answers this prayer. So that is why we as a church should be praying it. Because we already have it answered. We just forget. The people of God have sinned. They have broken God's covenant. They are deserving of full wrath and judgment. But they cry out for mercy. Cry out for grace. And there is only one way God can rectify this. He sends a servant to suffer. And the spotless Lamb of God takes away our sin. Hanging brutally naked and body destroyed upon a Roman cross, He looks upon our sin looks upon our rebellion, looks upon our hatred, looks upon our disgust, our unrighteous deeds, our polluted garments, and he says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. And then in complete exhaustion, but in absolute triumph, He cries out, it is finished. And in that declaration, he answers the prayer. Lord, remember your covenant. Jesus, hanging on the cross, remembers the covenant of God and fulfills it. Jesus rends the heavens and comes down. Jesus, dying and rising again, restores and will make and is making all things new. Isaiah's prayer is answered in Christ Jesus. Our prayers are answered in Christ Jesus. Heaven is opened for us. Through the blood of Christ, are we going to the throne? Are we desperately seeking the Lord when the realities of life don't seem to live up with the promises of God? Are we pursuing Him relentlessly? Do we have that desperation, that determination, that discipline to pursue the Lord our God, the only one who can answer our prayer? I love what the old pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He says, we are to take no rest ourselves. We are to give God no rest until He has heard us, until He has answered us, until Jerusalem is clothed in her beautiful robes again and is like a burning, shining light. Give Him no rest. Give yourselves no rest. Keep on. Bombard God, Lloyd-Jones says. Bombard heaven until the answers come. Are we pushing through? and relentlessly pursuing God through prayer? Are we giving God no rest until He has answered us? Are we like that woman who goes up and grabs onto the very fabric of Jesus' cloak and says, I will not let go until you heal me. 
Brothers and sisters, Isaiah's prayer must become our prayer. May the cry of our hearts be for God to remember his covenant, to rend the heavens and come down once again, and to restore his people. Father, remember your covenant. Rend the heavens and come down. Bring us your restoration. Restore our weary souls. Reality does not seem to line up with your promises, but this drives us back to you. And it is here in your presence we bow before your throne. Father, we are desperate for you, but we confess not desperate enough. Jesus, we need your gracious presence. Spirit, move in our hearts and minds so that not a day goes by where we don't deeply know of your loving presence. Help us to not just know, but to deeply know, to deeply and truly believe and to feel that you are with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Align our hearts and our minds to your reality. Make us desperate for you, we pray. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.